Welcome to the Locked On Islanders Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Gil Martin. I'm an Islanders columnist and historian, and I wrote the book Ice Wars, which covers the complete history of the Islanders' rivalry with the Rangers from 1972 to the modern era. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Locked On Islanders podcast. Great to be with you again today. I hope everyone is safe and well under the circumstances. We have got a lot to talk about today. We will have the latest news on different possible schemes to resume play in the National Hockey League and certain locations who are willing to uh, be hub cities for the NHL once they reopen, and uh, again, the NHL had a meeting today. We'll talk about that. We'll also talk about the draft a little bit more and why Islander fans really should not want the draft to take place in June, but to be patient and wait. And of course, we continue our series on the biggest what-ifs in Islanders history. This is one I think all Islander fans would appreciate. What if the Islanders had not hired Mike Milbury to be their general manager uh, back in the late 90s, how things might have been different for the Islanders. So lots to talk about. We'll also, of course, have this date in Islanders history, and we'll be looking back as this is the anniversary of the Islanders' first ever game in the Stanley Cup Finals. Now, if there's something on your mind, you've got an Islander question, a comment, a topic you'd like us to discuss or Even if you've got an idea for a what-if in Islanders history, because we'll be doing that all of this week and all of next week, uh, shoot us an email. The email address for the show, LockedOnIslanders at gmail.com. Leave your name and the town you're from, and we're happy to mention you on the air when we talk about whatever it is that's on your mind. You can also follow the show on Twitter or contact us via Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at LockedOnIsles. And you can follow me, Gil Martin, on Twitter at IceWarsNYRVSNYI. And uh, we'll keep you up to date on the latest news and notes from the world of the New York Islanders. So the NHL basically trying to figure out how to resume play for the playoffs or possibly still, although it's looking less and less likely, Uh, to try to finish the regular season. And the biggest news, I think, that came out yesterday, uh, the premier of the the province of British Columbia up in Canada, John Horgan, uh, is basically going to speak to Commissioner Gary Bettman today, Wednesday, about the possibility of uh, of British Columbia being a hub for a number of NHL teams and games to be played. 
Uh, obviously, Horgan said, I'd very much like to see it happen if we can do it in a safe way. We believe we can do a pretty good job. We have a lot of hotel capacity. We've got some outstanding facilities, not just Rogers Arena, which is where the Canucks play, but a whole host of other arenas around the province. And now keep in mind, one of the things that Horgan did mention is that any players, coaches, or officials, or anybody else who enters British Columbia will need to self-quarantine for 14 days before anything else can happen. So, you know, we're not talking about something that's going to start up right away, but considering that the NHL is going to need at least, I would say, a minimum of two to three weeks of training camp to get the players back into something approximating game shape, uh, that is something that has to be taken into consideration. And, and, you know, we'll see what can be worked out. Don't forget, of course, today's episode of Locked On Islanders is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off your first order. So the other bit of news, the NHL draft, you know, there are people within the hockey community that are advocating to hold the draft in June before the resumption of play. And there are reasons the NHL would want to do that. It certainly gives the networks that they televise, you know, games over, whether it's NBCSN in the United States or, uh, you know, up in Canada, you have Hockey Night in Canada, you have TSN, but, you know, it gives them all a product, something that they can put on TV and, you know, it's probably a two-day event, maybe you could even stretch it into a three-day event, uh, there'll be build-up, there would be, you know, analysis and, and it would give the NHL some positive, uh, publicity that, hey, stuff is happening, this is what's going to happen. Everybody saw how successful the NFL's virtual draft was, and it was really the only show in town. If the NHL holds their draft in June, they're also going to be the only show in town, and they would certainly get a lot of attention as a result. The problem is that, obviously, It'd be very difficult to figure out a draft order. Uh, you could say the regular season is over, and therefore be based on the standings as they exist right now. And it is possible that we will not have a resumption of the regular season, although that in many instances, many of the scenarios being tossed around would mean an extended playoff group of, let's say, 20 or 24 teams as opposed to the traditional 16. But the big problem from an Islanders standpoint is this. If the Islanders have to hold the draft in June before play or whether it be regular season play or playoff games resume, they will not be able to make trades for players at the draft. And when you look at the Islanders' cap situation, looking ahead for next season, and that's even assuming that the cap is not reduced as a result of the less, you know, all the income the league is not going to get because of the coronavirus pandemic, 
uh, even if the cap stays the same, the Islanders need to unload some contracts. And not being able to make trades at the draft would certainly hinder their ability to clear up cap space in order to re-sign Matt Barzal next offseason. You know, he's a restricted free agent, probably not going anywhere, but you still need to free up the cap space in order to re-sign him. Uh, and, you know, you there are certain players who have some trade value who the Islanders would love to deal at the trade deadline if they can, uh, rather at the draft if they can, but if the draft is held before the playoffs or season resumes, they're not going to be able to do that, and that certainly would be a big problem for Islanders fans. No question about that. All right, everybody, don't forget, Built Bar is the best-tasting protein bar ever. I tell you, I always had trouble with protein bars. The consistency wasn't so good. It had a bitter or bad taste. Well, with Built Bar, that is not the problem. It's the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Comes in 16 amazing flavors. Eight of them are chocolate-covered with nuts. Eight of them are chocolate-covered and nut-free. They are soft. They're easy to chew. And best of all, they are healthy. Built Bar is great for the health-conscious guy or gal. You can lose or maintain your weight while indulging in a delicious treat. The bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, and high-fiber, and it almost tastes like you're cheating when you eat one. Look at this profile of the mint brownie flavor. 15 grams of protein, only 110 calories, just 4 grams of sugar, and just 5 grams of net carbs. Right now, we have a special offer for our Locked On Islanders listeners Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON and you'll receive $10 off your first order. That's the promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. All right, time for this date in Islanders history. We go back to May 13th, 1980, which, believe it or not, was the very first Stanley Cup Finals game in Islanders franchise history, the Islanders and the Philadelphia Flyers meeting at the old Spectrum in Philadelphia. Islanders had just eliminated the Buffalo Sabres in six games to reach the final, while the Flyers had ousted the Minnesota North Stars in five. So these two teams, both coming from the Patrick Division and uh, the two division rivals, meeting in the finals, both, you know, the Flyers actually won the division that year, so they were the home team and had home ice advantage, Billy Smith, of course, the goalie for the Islanders, the Flyers counter with ex-Bruins goaltender Pete Peters, and uh, this series promised to be a darn good one, again, two very good, evenly matched teams, and the Flyers still, uh, at this point, not quite the glory days of the Broad Street Bullies, which were about five years earlier with, you know, Dave Schultz and Selesky and, and Hound Dog Kelly, but they still had some tough players, and they annually led the NHL in penalty minutes. First period, no score until Mel Bridgman of the Flyers 
got his second goal of the playoffs unassisted at 10-31, and the Flyers took a 1-0 lead. But the Flyers take a penalty. Defenseman Bob Daly called for tripping at 11:51, and a mere 11 seconds later, the first goal for the Islanders in a Stanley Cup final, scored by Mike Bossy, his seventh of the playoffs, the assist to Brian Trottier at 12:02, and after the first period, the Islanders and Flyers all tied at one apiece. In the second period, it was the Islanders jumping into the lead. Dennis Potvan, his second of the playoffs, assists to Clark Gillies and Butch Goring at 2:20, and the game was now 2-1 in favor of the Islanders. But Bob Lorimer heads off for hooking at 16:08, and exactly one minute later, the Flyers' power play clicks. Bobby Clark, his fifth of the playoffs from Bill Barber and Reggie Leach. That was the Flyers' top line back then, and uh, such a dangerous trio. Clark and Barber in the Hall of Fame. Leach probably should be. Anyway, that was the trio that connects Clark from Barber and Leach at 17.08. And after two periods, again, we are tied at 2-2. Two and two. The Flyers took the lead midway through the third period, a little bit past the halfway mark. Rick McLeish, his seventh of the playoffs from Paul Holmgren at 13.10. And the Islanders trailed 3-2 as time started to run down. But the Islanders got one last chance on the power play. When Philadelphia's Al Hill was called for hooking at 14:35, the Islanders took advantage. Stefan Pearson, his third of the playoffs, with assists to Mike Bossy and Dennis Potvan at 16:18, and the game was tied at three, and we headed to overtime. Now, everybody knows how well the Al Arbor Dynasty Islanders did in overtime, and this was no exception. Four minutes and seven seconds into the extra stanza, Dennis Potvan, his second of the game, third of the playoffs, John Tonelli and Bob Nystrom with the assists. It was a rare overtime power play because Jimmy Watson of Philadelphia was in the box for holding and Potvan scored with exactly one second left in the power play. So the Islanders end up defeating the Flyers 4-3 in Philadelphia to reclaim home ice advantage or to, to gain home ice advantage in this series. Dennis Potvan, star of the game, two goals, one assist. Mike Bossy with a goal and an assist as well. No Islander was plus in this game, uh, mainly because of the power play goals that were scored. 30 saves for Billy Smith in 64 minutes and 7 seconds of action. As far as uh, shots on goal were concerned, Dennis Potvin and Mike Bossy tied for the team lead with six, and that's good because Potvin scored two goals and Bossy won, so... Not only were these guys the ones taking the most shots, but they were effective. After that, Bob Bourne, Bob Nystrom, Stefan Pearson, and Brian Trottier each had four of the Islanders' 36 shots. Flyers took 33, 
in what was a very even hockey game, but the Islanders claimed home ice advantage, took a 1-0 lead in this series, and waited for Game 2 to be played two nights later at the Spectrum. So, this date in Islanders history, it was the Islanders 4, the Flyers 3 in Game 1 of the 1980 Stanley Cup Finals, May 13th, 1980. Alright, so we continue our series on the best what-ifs in Islanders history. And today, the question is, uh, what if the Islanders never hired Mike Milbury to be their general manager? Now, originally, Milbury was hired as the Islanders' coach back in 1995, but three months later, he also became the general manager, stayed on through the 2006 season, and I don't have to remind Islanders fans of all the deals that Mike Milbury made that ended up really being detrimental to the Islanders franchise, and it honestly took the Islanders you know, a while to dig out of the hole that Mike Milbury made for them. And there was a point in the late 2000s, early 2010s, where you could have put together a team of all-stars, uh, a, a team that probably would have won a lot of hockey games of ex-New York Islanders, just with players that Mike Milbury traded away. Now, got to say this, and I know a lot of fans won't be happy to hear this, but not all of these bad deals that Milbury made were all his fault, because at that time, the late 90s to the middle of the 2000s, look, ownership back then was not willing or able to spend a lot of money, and they kept telling Mike Milbury, hey, you got to cut payroll. And that limited what Milbury could do. Now, that being said, he still could have done a lot better than he did. But, for example, the trading away of Ziggy Palfi was something that Milbury had to do. And Palfi was by far the Islanders' best player at that time. He was their only real sniper on the roster. Milbury had to deal him away because the Islanders said... We're not going to be able to pay him what he can command on the open market. Let's get something for him. But as much as you want to say that budgetary restraints limited some of the things that Mike Milbury could do, and to be fair to Milbury, he did have his limitations. He still did make some of the worst trades in Islanders history. And, you know, think about this trading Chris Osgood and a third-round pick to St. Louis for Justin Papineau and a second-round pick. Osgood had gotten the Islanders to the playoffs two years in a row, and yeah, he, he didn't have as good a year his second season with the Islanders in 2002-2003, uh, but still uh, managed to do pretty well with the Blues Papineau never really became anything. He was on the uh, Bridgeport to Long Island shuttle and, you know, basically a second-round pick that the Islanders selected Jeremy Colleton with, and he never really panned out. So, in the end, 
the Islanders don't end up accomplishing a lot. Now, another move that was controversial, uh, and these, I'll say these two are very much related, uh, Milbury ends up trading away Roberto Luongo, and people forget Roberto Luongo, probably a future Hall of Famer, uh, started his career with the Islanders, and trades him away in order to draft Rick DiPietro with the first overall pick in the draft in 2000. Well, I'll tell you, first of all, I don't understand why the Islanders traded away Luongo to draft another young goalie to take his place. Uh, I, I That, to me, was very controversial. Now, DiPietro, had he not gotten hurt, might have become... Uh, you know, the Islanders franchise goalie for 10, 15 years. Uh, but Luongo certainly had a longer and a better career than DiPietro did, and they could have taken uh, a lot of goal scorers in that first round uh, and built around Luongo and then the goal scorer rather than making that trade. So Roberto Luongo, Chris Osgood, two very good goalies, that were traded away. Then this deal to me ended up being one of the worst in franchise history. And again, you know, Mike Milbury trading future Hall of Famer Zdeno Chara, Bill McCault, and a first round pick that ended up becoming Jason Spezza in exchange for Alexi Yashin. Well, I'll tell you, Yashin was a good player for the Islanders for a few seasons, although they ultimately gave him uh, a lot of money and he never really lived up to that high level of a contract. But he gave up way too much for Yashin. I mean, Chara, uh, Stanley Cup champion, a multiple Norris champion, and a captain of the Boston Bruins later on. Spezza, a dangerous goal scorer, uh, really one of the players the Ottawa Senators built around and just overall, I mean, given up way too much to get Alexi Yashin. And I could only imagine if the Islanders could have held on to the Spezza pick, held on to uh, Zdeno Chara, held on to Roberto Luongo, or even if they would have just had a healthy Rick DiPietro, how different the decade would have been for the New York Islanders. Now, another move that was made by Mike Milbury, a 10-year, $90 million deal for Alexi Yashin, which to me still did not make a lot of sense. Way overpaying Yashin, and, you know, he was never going to live up to a contract of that size, Got to add the trade of Ole Jokinen and Roberto Luongo. Okay, you know, we could discuss whether or not it was wise to trade Luongo at all, but all they got back in this deal, Jokinen and Luongo, Mark Parrish and Oleg Kavasha. Now, Parrish had some good seasons. He had some important goals for the Islanders and, and some good 30-goal seasons. Kavasha was a big disappointment. But Luongo, again, to me, a future Hall of Famer, 
and the Islanders did not necessarily get back everything they could have in that deal that sent away a heck of a lot of talent. Uh, Wade Redden, Brian Berard, Darius Kasparitis, Brian McCabe, Tommy Salo, Todd Bertuzzi, Rafi Torres, all of these players were traded away by Mike Milbury. We went back and talked about that 2000 draft with Roberto Luongo uh, being traded away, and then they selected DiPietro. Had they kept Luongo, the Islanders could have drafted either Danny Heatley or Marion Gabarik. Again, two snipers. Now, imagine you would have Roberto Luongo, Zdeno Chara, Let's go with Marion Gabarik. I mean, that is an incredible Todd Bertuzzi. You, you, you put together, again, a lineup of very talented players that Mike Milbury ended up trading away. Obviously, again, had he had more money to work with, he could have done some things differently. But overall, even if you would have had an average GM, not not even like, you know, a Bill Torrey, uh, or, or a Lou Lamorello, but if you just have an average general manager, you got to do better than what Mike Milbury accomplished or unaccomplished or however you want to put it during his uh, 11 years working for the New York Islanders. This is one what if that Islander fans certainly would love to have happen. And I'll tell you something else, and I'll just tie this in and sort of tie it all together. If the Islanders in the late 90s into the mid-2000s did not make some of these terrible moves, it's very possible the Coliseum gets renovated sooner because the Islanders would have been doing better on the ice, more fans would have gone to games, and the demand to renovate the Coliseum would have been much higher than it ended up being. So uh, this is one of those what-ifs that may have a lot of implications if we keep sort of you know, extrapolating or, or you know, discussing all the implications of what might have been if, again, even if the Islanders just had an average general manager in place of Mike Milbury. It doesn't even have to be a Hall of Famer. Well, that wraps up this edition of Locked On Islanders. Now, tell your smart device to play the latest episode of Locked On NHL. Please, if you're enjoying the show, leave us a five-star rating and a review on your podcatcher of choice. That helps other Islander fans find the podcast and helps us grow the Locked On Islanders family. Also, please tell your friends, your family members, fellow Islander fans about the podcast. It's always great to have new listeners join us. Have a great day, everybody. Stay safe. Keep that social distancing going. Thank you to all of those on the front lines of the fight against COVID-19. And of course, let's go Islanders.